0: Insights on Responsible Business is a podcast about organizations building trust, security and resilience to thrive in an era of stakeholder capitalism. Our host, Sir Rob Wainwright, talks with business leaders and experts about their experiences in charting a new direction towards commercial success and greater societal impact. Our special guest is Matthew Prince, co-founder and CEO of Cloudflare a global cloud platform that delivers a range of network services to businesses of all sizes around the world. Cloudflare's core mission is to help build a better internet. Robin Matthew will talk about how a talented team, smart technology and engaged users can help solve some of the biggest problems on the internet. But just how big are these problems? Over to you. Thank you, Roddy. Just how big indeed.
1: Yes. Well, welcome back, listeners, Matthew. Fantastic that you could join us today. We well, there's so many interesting areas we could dive into. Um let me start with the company you you co-founded, Cloudflare, described in a recent Forbes article as the most important internet company nobody has heard of. Well, we'll do our best today to help fix the second part of that, Matthew. But what an intriguing description. Tell me where, where the company came from and yeah, and what's so important about its work as, as you see it?
2: So Cloudflare is a little over uh, ten years, ten years old, and you know when when we started, what we saw was was at first just uh, a, a real gap in the marketplace where a lot of the world was moving from solving the security, reliability, and performance issues that they had with on-premise hardware and software. Uh, that as the world moved to the cloud, they needed to have those those sorts of solutions uh, as cloud uh, solutions uh, themselves. And so if you fast forward uh, over those 10 years, uh, today Cloudflare operates in uh, more than 210 cities worldwide where we run our own network. We're in over 100 countries uh, around the world. Our customers uh, or anyone who's trying to put uh, content or applications on the internet, and need them to be fast or secure. And we act almost as a digital bouncer, uh, making sure that uh, people who are trying to access your applications, access your content, are are the are the the ones that are the good guys. And if they're trying to do you harm in some way, then we stop them uh, at at the edge of our network without letting them through. And, and I think that you know what was interesting about us was when we started the company, we really had this chicken and egg problem. We knew that uh, to build a great business, uh, we needed very large customers to sign up for us. But in order to uh, get very large customers to sign up for us, we needed data on the, the threats and, and attacks and everything else that was going on online. And so we made, we made the decision in order to overcome that, uh, to provide a version of our service at a very low cost, in fact, for free. Uh, in, in most cases, mostly just to get that, that data initially. And one of the things that was a consequence of that, that I don't think we we appreciated um, in the beginning, but was fed so important to the development of the company, was that in doing that, people signed up for the service like crazy that, that often didn't have the resources to protect themselves, but were doing things online that were incredibly important. And I remember... At some point, um, the director of an organization called the Committee to Protect Journalists, which if you ever want to just be depressed uh for the world, sign up for their newsletter because it's it's story after story of, of journalists that have been kidnapped or killed around the world. And this is the organization that does the incredibly hard work of going in and 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 take getting journalists out of harm's way or or unfortunately in some cases, you know, having to recover bodies for their families. And 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 the, the director called me up and said, Do you want to meet three of of your, your clients, and and I, I I said, sure, and they brought him by the, the office, it was three African journalists, one was from Angola, the other was from Ethiopia, and the third, they wouldn't tell us his name or where he was from, uh, because he was currently being hunted by death squads, and all three of them hugged me, and I'm not much of a hugger, so it was sort of awkward, and one of them had tears in his eyes, and he said, we couldn't do what we do Without Cloudflare, because the governments, largely that we're reporting on government corruption, the governments don't like us doing that, and they try and shut us down in a number of different ways. And one of them is with with cyber attacks. And uh, you are the, one of the things that helps ensure that we can we can do that. And I think that was the point in our journey, um, and that happened very early on. Um, you know, within the first eighteen months of, of of the company's history, where I think Michelle, my my co founder, and I looked at each other and said, "Wow, we're." We we thought we were building a business, but we're actually doing something which is so much more important. And if and if we can help, um, you know, people like these three journalists uh, use the internet for you know what it's become. That's um, that that's that's just such an important important piece. And I think that's where that's where that mission of helping build a better internet really came from.
1: It's a it's a great story, uh, Matthew, and it really brings to life what, what what you're doing and and the importance of that. And that was. You know, maybe eight years ago, maybe more than that. You know, the the internet, of course, has changed so much even since then. Of course, um, and, and I mean, just for our listeners, bring to life. You know, why? Um, you know, for for the wider business sector, wider technology sector, why it's so important? I think um, that that you protect the internet in the way that you're doing.
2: Well, I think you know the 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 last year, um, and, and it's and it's been. Almost exactly a year now since since the world uh, really went into full lockdown, and we we at Cloudflare, um, you know, went went fully virtual, and you know it's been. I think that that's reinforced for me at least the the importance of of the internet as as just a, a, an incredible tool um, to do incredibly positive things. Um, and, and, I, and I really think of there as being kind of the kind of capital I internet, which is the the thing that that is the communications platform that allows us uh, to be recording this podcast um, you know right now and and to be able to communicate and, and and get through that. and 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 then and then there are a bunch of applications that sit on top of that, some of which some of which um, you know have have had troubling implications. But I think the network itself, that capital I internet, has been super important. Obviously, the superheroes of the last year have been the medical professionals that have been taking care of, of the sick and and um, you know ma- making sure we can we can get through this. And also the scientists who you know have have with remarkable speed um, you know come up with real hopefully what are, are real solutions to this this horrible disease. But, but I think the faithful sidekick, the sort of Ant Man to Captain Marvel, um, has been the internet. And as one of the companies. That has made, helped make sure that it it has stayed online uh, over this period of time. That's been that's been incredibly rewarding, and and we've seen challenges in a number of different areas. In in April of 2020, um, internet usage almost doubled globally. Uh, There aren't many public utilities that if if they double their usage overnight that they continue to work. If the electrical g- grid gets twice as much demand or the sewer system gets twice as much demand or there are twice as many cars on the road, um, you know, it, it, it would, th- those things would fall over. Uh, and yet the, the internet held firm. And, and I think that it wasn't it wasn't always totally clear that that, it, that, that would that would be the case. And I think it was um, a number of companies and Cloudflare was among them that came together to say, we have to work together in order to make sure the internet continues to function. I think that's been incredibly important.
1: Well, I just wanted to just jumping in there, Matthew, because I'm, I think many of us, even those in, 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 in the security industry like me, you know, almost take for granted that, that the digital infrastructure is here to stay. Of course, it's a fundamental part of the way we do business now, of course it is. Of course, it's not going to fall over, but. But it's it's not as simple as that, I guess. I mean, there's there's a lot of work that has to go in behind the scenes, of course, to to deal, as you say, with with a doubling of 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 demand. And you know, what, what has it taken this year to to keep up with with that, and and to do it not just in a way which sustains the digital availability of what we need, but to do it, of course, in a safe and secure way.
2: Yeah, I think there were two things that were really difficult challenges. The the first one, which was early in the pandemic, was just the growth of the, of the internet usage um, around the world. And and I think in Europe in particular, uh, there were a few days um, where you know providers like us, Akamai, Amazon, Netflix, and others were on on calls every day trying to make sure that that we were adjusting our services to make sure that they worked. Um, as as seamlessly as as possible i think the other uh thing you know was was really troubling was um not not the very beginning of the pandemic but but sort of in the summer of 2020 we saw a, a dramatic rise in the number of cyber attacks that were out there and and some of them were relatively uh benign, you know, bored kids who didn't have anything better to do who had launched cyber attacks because they were bored, but but some were really troubling and some of them were actually nation state sponsored and, and at times uh targeting uh some of the healthcare uh infrastructure and that was that was a big piece of what we saw our job was was to make sure that for for not only just our clients but for the internet as a whole that when these attacks took place that um people were again still able to to perform their their services and, and, and again that's been hard work uh it's been incredibly rewarding work but it's but it's something that um you know is a big piece of what motivates our entire team to to do their job.
1: What's your learning lesson from you know the, the rise of in the complexity and the number of, of of the cyber attacks you, you mentioned those uh attacks on the health industry. Of course we ended the year with, with solar winds incident. Um, and, and so there's much that we can do, there's much that companies like you can do to, to still keep the show on the road, yes. But at the same time, the attacks come and many of them still get through and, and, and harm the digital network that, that that we live and breathe on. So so what's your learning about where we still need to go on that?
2: You know, so the first thing is I think that a lot of times um, the cybersecurity industry is is often... Uh, almost nihilistic or and and often you know sells based on on fear. And one of the decisions that we made early on in the company's history was we we just weren't going to do that. Uh we we believe that there are more good guys in the world than there are bad guys and that um that over time working together we can get in front of a lot of these challenges. And so every day our team shows up at work trying to design solutions that are Getting in front of of this, and I and I think that there will always be flaws in software. There will always be people who fall for very clever, um, you know, professional hackers that that try and trick trick our teams into into doing things. And so, what we have to design are solutions that limit the sort of blast radius or damage of what was going on before. And what I'm optimistic about is that the industry is really going through a sea change where we're moving from sort of a, what, what I would describe as kind of a castle and moat uh, strategy where you sort of put all your secrets in the castle and you put all your employees there and you surrounded it with a moat. And unfortunately, if they attack or breach the moat, then they had free run of, of the castle to what I think the better analogy going forward is almost like bulkheads in a ship. Um, we design ships, modern ships, such that if there's a leak that's sprung in any given place, it doesn't sink the entire ship. And I think that that new approach, which um, has been coined sort of the zero trust uh, uh, approach to security, where every key piece of data or every, every employee is surrounded with their own sort of security layer, um, is, is, is really a sea change that, again, isn't going to stop people from falling for phishing scams, but is going to limit sort of the blast radius or the damage that can be done uh, when when that happens, and and I, and I'm optimistic that 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 is a um, a very positive development that can help us help us make the make the internet significantly more secure.
1: I think that's, that's that's a very good characterization. I'm seeing the same thing across the cybersecurity industry. You know, where global companies increasingly are seeing that. You know, I've witnessed the de facto loss of that external security perimeter, you know, but given the nature of so many third party vendors and suppliers, of course, the heart of the SolarWinds attack and so many more. So you're right, you know, the world has moved on and, and the nature of cyber threats, you know, just jump across that mode now. And so that in- implicit trust within is no longer there. So zero trust, is it's, 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 it's a good concept. And it, and it takes us into this notion of resilience, of course, and how we can build Going back to your, your core point, how we build a better internet, accepting the risk, that, that the residual risk that is, that is part of the territory we're in, I guess. Um, let, me, let me take you back to another important event of last year, of course, the, the US elections. Um, again, maybe not known to all our listeners, you, know, you had a pretty important role, protect the digital infrastructure of that. What was your experience of, of doing that at you know, such an important event?
2: So, you know, we watched the 2016 election and were really deeply troubled at how, you know, pure technology companies' uh, platforms were used in order to subvert um, the, the election outcome and really call into question, regardless of what the outcome was, just call into question the process itself. And, you know, I, I think that, There's no way we could have built Cloudflare from an idea on a piece of paper to a multi-billion dollar company without a stable functioning government. And that we have a duty, I think, to offer our services when we see that we can help protect the stable functioning of, of that government. And so we, in 2016, launched something called the Athenian Project, which is a project to provide our technology to any government organization that's administering um, elections in any way, and it was incredibly rewarding um, to watch as over the the four years leading up to the election, um, governments across the United States um, and, and municipalities um, signed up. And you know the the thing about the U.S. election, which which I think is sometimes puzzling um, if you're not if you're not from the country, is it's this highly distributed system, which was designed very much to prevent sort of the election um, attacks of kind of the 17th, 18th, 19th, you know, 20th century, where instead of having a central authority that ran the election, it was distributed out to individual counties. And that made it very hard to corrupt, you couldn't corrupt them all, and so that made a bunch of sense. But those, those individual counties and individual precincts don't have many resources. And so, when we started to see the election challenges of the 21st century, where it was literally, you know, some small county in a rural in a rural part of the United States versus, you know, the entire Russian government uh, attacking them, the, the the odds were not in in their favor, and it was uh, and it was really challenging. And so, what we wanted to do is say on a totally nonpartisan basis. So we worked with you know, so-called red states and blue states and purple states and everything in between, will provide our services to help protect those parts of the election that are exposed to the internet in, in any way. So we, what happens in the voting booth, there's not much that we can do to protect that, but the, the site where you go to register to vote, the site where you figure out where your polling place is, the site where the county administrator uh, reports what the results are, where that, that gets reported out to the Associated Press all of those are potential vulnerable um, parts of the infrastructure, and 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 we said if if we have the technology to be able to protect that, that we have a duty to to do that. And so, starting in 2016, um, we launched the Athenian project. Um, by 2020, um, more than half of U.S. states, um, w- well over half of the the so-called battleground states, uh, were using our platform, and and I'm. You know, and I think our entire team is really proud that. Well, well, I wouldn't say that this was a election without controversy. Um, one of the big stories that I that I think we all lived in fear of, especially having seen 2016, was that cyber attacks were going to be a big part of the story, and that just wasn't uh, that just wasn't a story in 2020. And, and and I'm proud of the role that we we played in doing that, and and other companies like Google and Microsoft really stepped up uh, to do that as well. And and I think that that's that's one of the ways where technology companies can, can really lend their expertise in order to help make sure that the underlying functions of society continue to work well.
1: And it's, it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think we're all expecting much bigger problems um, around the integrity of the US elections than, than, than we finally had, certainly in the digital space despite the fact the threat has clearly gone up in those, those four years, uh, the actual impact has significantly gone down. So it kind of bucks the trend of those people that, that do inhabit the cybersecurity world, as you were saying earlier, that live by fear, as it were, and, and project fear. To me, the lesson there is, in a hi- even in a highly challenging environment, if it really, really matters, if we can get our act together in terms of getting the right collaborative partners pointing in the right direction, and we can use technology to best effect, then we can get the job done, and for you, that must be a kind of an inspiration that the this kind of business model as it were, kind of works and 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 we should be doing much more of the same playbook, maybe.
2: yeah, and, you know I think it's the thing again, Cloudflare started to build a great business, and then we sort of stumbled into what we what what became our mission. but what's been powerful has been how much living that mission out has helped us build um, you know a, a, a great business. And and maybe one of the easiest examples of that is you know every business is just a collection of people. And being able to hire great people is the hardest thing in building any business. And you know if we look back over the course of the last the last year, I mean, we had nearly two hundred thousand people apply to work at at, at Cloudflare. We, we we were only able to accept you know, one half of 1% of the, of the people that applied. Um, but the reason that they're applying, all of those people could go work at a number of different places. Um, and you know, while we, while we pay well and all of those things, so, so do a number of other companies. But what I think differentiated us and set us apart was people saw that we were doing things like the Athenian project, protecting elections that we were, they were helping with project Galileo which helps protect artistically or politically important organizations around the world like the like the um uh, uh the the Committee to Protect Journalists that those those um those those sites that w- that we sort of are walking the walk and that we really believe in in our mission and in these days, where there are so many different places where where you know a talented engineer or a talented salesperson or you know a talented marketer or a talented finance person can go and work, being an organization that really you know believes something, has principles, has values, and is asking every day how can we use our expertise and our technology in order to make the world a better place, I think that's that 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 is. What helps us attract great people? That's what helps us get customers, and that that has turned out to be a really key ingredient in us building a in building a successful business.
1: Well, you just characterized exactly what this podcast series is about, um, Matthew. It's it's responsible business, and the way that you describe it, you know, when you put purpose and values and principles at the heart of your business, um, you know, it, it it can really translate into commercial success. As you say, you become a talent magnet. Um, and it clearly would help your brand as well. And, and it seems to me that from your stories from Africa at the start of our discussion through to US elections, there's many other projects that you are putting responsible business at the centre. Where are the challenges for you, though, Matthew? I know that Cloudflare itself was you know, has been the subject of cyber attacks. And what's been your learning of dealing with the sort of more challenging sides of trying to grow your business? You
2: know, I think the
1: thing that's... Um Sort of
2: perennial challenge for us is that the internet is messy, and you know we we sit in front of it um, and 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 protect it, and we and we need to abide with all of the different laws and regulations and rules that are around the world. But today, about sixteen percent of the web, based on a number of different um, third-party uh, sources, sits behind Cloudflare's network. And that means 16% of the great things that are out there sit behind us, and sometimes 16% of the things that, you know, I personally don't think are 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 great, uh, that that sit behind us as well. And 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 I think that figuring out what our role is in in deciding what can and cannot be online is is just a an incredibly hard challenge because there are. I mean, I, I have I have political beliefs. I have things which are passions. I have lots of my own personal um, things that of uh, how I would like the world to be. But I think it's pretty dangerous for somebody or or a small group of people to be able to determine what is and is not online. And so that doesn't always make us that doesn't always make us popular. But I wasn't democratically elected. Um, I don't understand the values of let alone every U.S. state as opposed to where, you know, where I where I grew up, which is in the United States versus you know all of the different countries that are all around the world. And so I think we've got to be very responsive and and follow sort of the rules and norms around the world. But we, we also have to make sure that in the process of doing that, that we're not imposing kind of our own. Our own norms on on other other parts of the world because I because I worry that um, as the internet has become a much more complicated place as it's gone from sort of you know the Mediterranean to the North Sea in terms of the the, the challenges that are there that's forcing more and more of it to rely on services like like a Cloudflare and that then means that you know done wrong the sort of values of the leadership at Cloudflare could determine exactly what the internet looks like. Um, done right, hopefully we can be a good steward and reflect kind of what the internet is as a global network that's going to have different perspectives around the world that that needs to comply with with whatever the laws and rules are in different places around the world, but that doesn't impose kind of, uh, you know, an, an overly um, restrictive sense on, on, on top of that, because the the values in San Francisco are very different than the values in New York, which are very different than the values in Amsterdam, which are very different than the values in Beijing. And um, and I think trying to run an op- a network that spans all of those cities, uh, in in addition to you know hundreds more, that's the thing that I think we will that we struggle with. We've struggled with since our earliest days. We continue to struggle with today. And I think we'll struggle with um, you know for, for the for the history of the company.
1: Yeah, and you know, it's it's a dilemma, isn't it? Shared by other leaders in the tech industry around possible overreach, self control, uh, self awareness about you know how big a company comes and how powerful it does. The whole notion of of digital ethics, ethics and trust at the heart of of a responsible business. The way that you've been describing. Well, I mean, it's been a fascinating discussion with you today, Matthew. You know, um, hearing about the the work that you've been doing to help us protect. The internet indeed build a better internet but also you know s- s- some remarks there about looking ahead and, and what it will take to build the right kind of uh, technology platforms in the future thanks so much for, for for joining us well as we've been hearing our experience of the pandemic has underscored the dependency we all have on the internet a life of lockdown is simply not tenable without the digital infrastructure that now underpins so much of how the economy and society functions Keeping that digital infrastructure safe and healthy is no small matter given the exponential rise in consumer demand and the proliferation of cyber threats. Matthew Prince has turned a startup into a billion dollar company on the back of his vision of building a better internet. His is another story of successful Silicon Valley venture, but it's also a story of what can be done against the odds and the view of many doom and gloom members that occupy the cybersecurity world to tackle some of the intrinsic fault lines in the internet and in a responsible way. Against the odds, a partner community that included Cloudflare protected the digital integrity of the US elections last November with remarkably few problems, even in the face of significant cyber threats. It's an optimistic learning lesson by which to project forward our interest in seeing an ever more vibrant digital ecosystem in the future, but one with fewer security concerns. It would depend on stronger collaboration across sectors and on business playing its part in the design and running of new technologies and platforms in a way that better protects the health of a virtual world now at the heart of societal interest. That's Responsible Business Agenda at Work.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of Insights on Responsible Business. Hope you enjoyed it and will tune in to our next episode. Review us on Spotify, the iTunes podcast app, or whatever popular podcast app you're using. And find out more on Deloitte.nl.